Hello, and welcome to Spy Hearts Podcast, where your hosts go deep undercover into the world of spy movies to decipher which films make the knock list. But remember, this information is strictly for your ears only. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And Scott, the peacock came with the house! Is that is that a line from this week's film? Yeah, there's a peacock in their headquarters. Oh yes, there is. Uh... Maybe that's a sign of uh, me already forgetting what we watched. The peacock came with the house. It came with the house. What's the deal with peacocks in the house? (laughs) And everyone has stopped listening. That's great. Mm. But uh, before we get to this week's film, as always, we need to induct a new member into the Spy Hards Die Hards. Cam, how does one become a Spy Hards Die Hard? Well, that is achieved, of course, by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and telling us what you enjoy about the show. Then we read that review on the air and give you a code name that you can carry with you for the rest of your life. I I doubt many people are keeping it for the rest of their life, Cam, but we can (laughs) can dream big. Naked Runner is definitely keeping Naked Runner forever. I, I, I hope they are running naked around wherever they are right now. Yeah, there's been a few now that were pretty glorious, pretty glorious. Chimera, that was a good one. That that was a good one. This week's film is not too bad either, to be fair, because it is the no. code name. That's right, yeah. But yeah, as Cam said, if uh, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and then we read out the review. As long as it's five stars, frankly, we'll read anything. If you want Cam to read you a recipe on how to make cookies, he'll do it. Just leave the five-star review on Apple Podcasts. But this week's Spy Hards, Die Hards inductee is none other than Husketeer. And they say, Spy Hardest, five-star. If you're a fan of spy movies, there's nothing better than listening to a couple of nerds unapologetically and joyfully geeking out over them. Whether our agents love or hate the film in question, their reviews are always funny and thoughtful. And of course, that means that as a Spy Hard's Die Hard, Husketeer shall now be known by the name of this week's movie. We need to get better at this because we don't actually like reveal the movie until later in the show, but we talk about the film in some sort of weird code language in this Spy Hard's Die Hard section. Yeah, well, why bother? Pe- people have seen the name of the movie in the yeah. title. Heart of Stone. Your nickname is Heart of Stone. Congrats, Accept it. Heart of Stone. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> like it or not, it is your name. But let- speaking of Heart of Stone, let's get to the review. Okay, Cam, before we get to it this week, we need to bring in our guest. She is our queen of hearts. She is one half of the W-rated podcast. She is Miss Daisy Edwards. Hello. Hello. I love that. And I know it's just because of the film, but I'm just going to take that (laughs) face value. You can take it to heart. I'm going to put that in my bio. Yeah. Take it literally to heart. Yeah. Put it in the bio. Brilliant. Thank you for having me back on. No, it's been a beat. I think uh, time of recording this, it's been little over, little under two years since you were last on the show, uh, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a, a bit of a different film this week for you to look at with us. Yes. But before we get to there, obviously we sort of spoke about spy movies with you last time, and your what you liked about spy movies. So remember just what's been happening with you since then, the last couple of years. What's been happening with W Rated? I heard that you were nominated for an award as well. Yes. Yes, that was probably, I was about to say, it's probably the most exciting thing 
for us in the last few years. We were nominated in the film and TV category at the Independent Podcast Awards. So we were very pleased to go along to the ceremony in October uh, with a lot of um, fellow podcasters and friends there to celebrate everyone's hard work. Um, but otherwise, we've kind of just been um, doing our best to keep up keep up with the podcast when we can. Um, Claire and I both have quite demanding jobs in a similar sector um so given that it sort of was born out of the pandemic you know out of the window are the two two weekly release dates um <laughs> but it just means that when we do get to do it um we put aside that time when we really love it and we're getting such dedicated and committed guests come on and people aren't just sort of coming on to to trash the films actually we're finding more and more people coming on to defend the films um that we're pushing out so some of the latest ones we've done were britney's crossroads which we did at the time of um the release of her book which was i think the same time as the 30th anniversary potentially um so that was great we had our friend matt turner on to talk about that and he was actually a critic at the time when it came out so that was really interesting to sort of delve into into the scene and, and what was happening at the time. We also had uh, the remake of The Wicker Man, another <laughs> Nicolas Cage. It's our, I think it's our second Nicolas Cage. And obviously it's like, it's reputation precedes it. So that was really fascinating to talk to our guest Brad, who actually has a specific Wicker Man tattoo, which is actually from the Nicolas Cage version, his favourite. Is it the bees? So we get... Is it the bees? Yes, it's the... Yeah, exactly. It's the bees, okay. Not the bear suit, okay. <laughs> No, but I mean, we might have some more room on the sleeve <laughs> if it feels like it. Um, but other than that, I think my um, favorite sort of thing that's come out of our podcast is when we do our Razzie season. Mm -hmm. So it's coming up soon this year. We get the, it, I think it's just before, just after the Oscars noms uh, are released. The Razzies come out. For anyone that's not familiar with the Razzies, they, they, are, they are the antithesis of the Oscars for good or for better or for worse um, and basically nominate all what's deemed the worst films um, of the year, including worst performances, etc. So we dive into a bit of a, um, what I would probably compare most to a cram session before an exam of watching a ton of films before we try different formats, a whole long session discussing them all drives us insane. So we've now taken these little bite-sized episodes and discussing sort of 20 minutes on each film. Um, and I have to say, it's the, it's the professional highlight of my career now, <laughs> <laughs> of my podcast career, that is. Um, we, we put a lot of energy into that. So um, I'd love to continue doing that each year alongside the, the bottom 100, which is always changing as well. I think we might have maybe cracked 25 now. I don't even think we've got that far in this long. So there'll always be plethora of awfulness that that's ready for us whenever we have time i'm just thinking about the 2023 releases and what you'd be looking at for the razzies this year this is a good point i've not thought about it um i've probably watched half of them i'm gonna have to subject myself to it again because my taste in film since doing this podcast is nosedived it has to be said <laughs> it really has i'm thinking of like Exorcist the Believer pops to the front of my mind, but uh, mm. I'm trying to think of what the high-profile ones were. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe this week's film. We'll find out uh, with the Razzie knobs. Who knows? But oh, uh, Maybe. Maybe. I'm sure a new, a few Netflix originals will be on there. I think the latest one that really got a trashing was um, Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon. Oh, that is um, a great call. Yeah, yeah. 
I think that will be on there. Um, no, I'm looking. Is it's a good? It, everyone's excited for the, you know, the Globes and the Critics' Choice and Oscars, and I'm like, nah, keep your good films. Uh, you guys are set. You guys have got this covered. We'll uh, we'll tackle the stuff that you don't want to sort of take another sniff at, basically. Well, I'm I'm curious because yeah, your show looks as you said a lot of the the bad films, especially the the, the bottom 100 IMDb films of all time. And I know there are definitely some spy movies in there, but I suppose in the last couple of years since you've been on the show, what's the worst film you've spoken about on the show? Um, so I remember I mentioned last time it was Vampire Suck, which mm-hmm. was an awful parody, and luckily we have not done any parodies since then and i don't know if claire's being nice to me actually no because i i kind of help with the schedule i kind of dictate the scheduling and it's not it's not on purpose but we did a run of uve bowl films because there was a ton of them on freebie and things like this they really weren't that bad so that's a little bit of a misnomer there as i've started talking about it but i think do you know what we've had a really good run like i think we had some really awful ones to begin with um do you know what's really interesting? I'll call this one out because it relates to our last episode. Um, obviously, you guys know how much I love Spy Kids. Mm-hmm. I finally watched Shark Boy and Lava Girl, oh. which I'd never seen before, which is another Ro- Robert Rodriguez film in the vein of Spy Kids, but it's everything that could have gone wrong with Spy Kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's everything that I think other people think Spy Kids is, and it's not. Uh, I was really disappointed with that one. Um, and I was on, I guessed, I think, quite liked it. I think Claire didn't mind it. I might be wrong, though. Sorry, Claire. I can't remember. But I, yeah, no, I wasn't I wasn't here for it at all. Well, I mean, when we talked to you last, it was for Spy Kids 2. And mm-hmm. Scott and I were early in our journey through the Spy Kids franchise. And at this point now, as I sit here, I have watched all five Spy Kids films. and I can't believe there are five now. What's that about? I don't know. I've seen the last three, and I don't know what it's about either. <laughs> I don't. I'm an apologist for, for three, which I think we discussed before. But number four is on the bottom 100. Um, so we will be tackling it ourselves at some point. Claire has not seen any of them, so I am pushing her to do a watch of all of them, so she can actually make a judgment call uh, on on how the franchise panned out versus just the fourth one. But I think, was the fifth one like a Netflix original deal in the last few years? Yeah. Yeah, it sounds familiar. I think I blocked that off my consciousness. Tell tell Claire to do them in reverse order, and then they'll get better as it goes on instead of worse. Oh. That's true. And I don't think the stories are that complicated that it wouldn't work. I'm not sure there was a story when you got to the last no, couple, but uh, yeah, no, true. no. But uh, speaking mm-hmm. of questionable stories, why don't we uh, segue into <laughs> this week's film, Cam? Yes, we are tackling 2023's Heart of Stone, starring Gal Gadot. Is it Gadot? Yeah, she, you say the T. Is it? I don't know why I always added a flair of Godot. You, I've always said Godot, like I'm a sort of French person. No, she says ah. the T. Wow. Yeah. Ah. Okay, all right. That's uh, that, At least you've told us at the start of the episode and said us all making a fool of ourselves. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm purposely mispronouncing it just to screw you all over, but uh, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> we'll go first name basis. It's Gal. Yeah. She's my gal pal. <laughs> uh, well, if you haven't somehow seen Heart of Stone, the Netflix original movie, here is your synopsis. Heart of Stone, 
defy the odds. An artificial... <laughs> I just... What? I, 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 I don't sure. know. I, I added a question mark to the first sentence. I don't know why. <laughs> defy the odds? Hmm. I got the time. Sure. <laughs> An intelligence operative for a shadowy global peacekeeping agency races to stop a hacker from stealing its most valuable and dangerous weapon. Okay. Okay. Those pauses were added by the synopsis, not me. That was. Oh, okay. I thought that was a choice. <laughs> it wasn't a dramatic uh, sort of thing coming from me. The, the uh, my inner That's artist really wasn't coming through. It was. Uh, it, it, it's literally <laughs> written. It's most valuable. Dash. And dangerous. Dash. Weapon. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. You're meant to say it dramatically, I guess. I think that's what they were trying to go for, for sure. <laughs> yeah, they, they got they got the wrong guy to read it, evidently. <laughs> but I, I I am curious because this is a 2023 film. It's very recent. I know Cam and I watched it when it came out because hey, it's a spy movie. I remember Cam and I specifically walking down Las Vegas Boulevard and seeing a trailer playing for this on the big screen, looking at each other and going. Oh boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that was playing like the whole time we were in Vegas because I remember also we were in a cab going somewhere or an Uber and seeing it as well. It was really like hovering over us and we managed to get out of town basically the week it dropped, which is Mm -hmm. actually very poor podcast planning on our parts because we should have had a declassified out that weekend or something like that. But uh, we knew when we got back, we had to cover it on the Patreon. We did. And I, you know, we know you're all clamoring for instant takes on Hearthstone. <laughs> We're sorry we didn't give that to you. We, we've got your emails. We've seen your letters. But I, Daisy, I want to hear from you. Did you experience Heart of Stone when it first came out? I did, actually, because if watching the worst films wasn't enough, I've also set my challenge, myself a challenge a couple of years ago to watch the most popular film on IMDb every week. And uh, wow. people don't have taste. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's just... I'm really starting to think maybe I should stop it because it's just the most blockbustery options that you can go for. And it's generally, if it's not that, it's a Netflix one because obviously it's just who's going to, what's going to hit the most amount of people. It's something that's going to be accessible at home and it's going to have a big movie star. Um, so yes, I I put myself through this when it came out that week. Uh, I knew nothing about it. I hadn't seen any any marketing i don't think i'm not a huge gal got up ghetto i don't know how i'm saying her name get up i'm not a huge fan i have to say i quite like wonder woman as a film but i wouldn't ever cite her performances what i liked about it yeah um mm-hmm. but i mean i don't know if we're going into whether we like it or not but i you know i was i was relatively surprised this wasn't my worst film i saw last year that's for sure how did it compare to you uh, with Red Notice? Did you watch that one? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, God, there's a, that's another one as well. Yeah. No, I think Red Notice... I, I, I do find when people use the criticism written by an AI actually just as lazy as what they're trying to denote. But that one <laughs> <laughs> does, does earn a little bit of skepticism about whether that was actually written by a person. It was... It just felt like... Um, an SNL sketch of a film. Yeah. <laughs> in like a parody of this is a big, or oh, you know, in the holiday when she does the trailer, the trailer at the beginning mm-hmm. and it's like a Lindsay Lohan film and you're like supposed to believe it's like a real film. It kind of felt a little bit like that. I can't, I can't say I remember much about what happened in it to be completely honest with you. I watched it as well and I could not tell you almost a single thing that happened in Red Notice at all. It's a real shame because we had the director on 
many moons ago to talk wow. about another Dwayne The Rock Johnson film, Central Intelligence, which he directed. And he was talking up Red Notice a storm. He was like, this is the big thing. Wow. And I remember watching it and going, huh, okay. I wonder if there was a lot of meddling from studios and distributors, maybe? I don't think so. Netflix tends to be pretty hands-off with filmmakers. He just really believed in, in it. And yeah, good. he just loved it. And they announced like sequels to Red Notice as well because it was the most watched movie on Netflix for a long time. Mm. So those three have a lot of a lot of power when it comes to comes to getting bums on seats, basically for films. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think before we get into what we think of Heart of Stone in 2024, Cam, I need to know how did this uh, deck of cards get opened? Okay, well, it starts with uh, Gal Gadot, who's the producer of the film. Oh. And she was looking for something that would kind of speak to her interests. I have a quote from her. She says, There were so many male-led films, and they were made brilliantly, and I just always felt like there's room for more female-led films. Bond, Mission Impossible, Born Identity, Die Hard. These movies I devour, and I always wanted to play one. And so that was kind of in the back of her mind. And then with the success of the first Wonder Woman, it gave her the confidence to pursue that project because she realized that male audience members would also show up. Like it was not going to be a box office issue, that they could genuinely have a hit movie if they pulled this off. And so that kind of started the search for developing Heart of Stone. And she was um, working alongside her husband, uh, Jason Varsano, who's her uh, co-producer on this film, and they run a production company called Pilot Wave. So they were the ones that kind of got the ball rolling on what would become Heart of Stone. This is a family project, if you will. Well, at this stage, without knowing how the film turned out, I like everything she's saying because I completely <laughs> agree. Yeah, there should be. There should be more of these spy films that are, are female-led, not only in, in front of the lens, but behind the lens too. Mm -hmm. Sure, or, or even just action movies in general because she mentions Die Hard as well. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they started working with screenwriter Greg Rucka. He has a story credit and one of the screenplay credits on the film. He's an American novelist and comic book writer who uh, had done the graphic novels Whiteout, which was turned into a Kate Beckinsale film. Not a well-liked one. I'm not sure if it would be something you would be tackling on W-Rated. <laughs> sounds like it. I remember the reviews were very bad. Um, I can't speak to the graphic novel. Maybe it's great, but mm -hmm. I know the adaptation was uh, not well-received. Uh, he also wrote Queen and Country, which was quite popular, and did runs on de uh, Detective Comics, Wonder Woman, uh, Wolverine, Punisher, and Elektra. And he had adapted his own graphic novel, uh, The Old Guard, into a movie that was a big hit on Netflix with Charlize Theron yeah, yeah. in 2020. I really 2020. liked that one, actually. It was okay, yeah. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. very well received. And so this was actually his follow-up to The Old Guard. Okay. A lot of uh, Netflix is on his side. Yeah. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's okay. delivered for them before, so it makes sense that he would be working with Gal Gadot here. Everything you're saying is adding up to a great <laughs> film right now. Keep going, Cam. The oh. energy's good. Okay. And then they bring in a second writer to work with Greg Recca, Alison Schroeder who was a production assistant when she started out her career in the late 90s on shows like Smallville. And then she also worked on Pineapple Express and then got her writing debut with a story credit on a 2008 episode of 90210 and then co-wrote a Mean Girls 2 TV sequel, which I didn't know existed. You're shaking your head there, Daisy. Have you seen it? I've never, I've never subjected myself to it. It was funny because the new Mean Girls is out 
And then yeah. my partner thought it was a sequel. He was like, why are they even making a Mean Girls 2? I was like, okay, we're just going to have to like refresh here. <laughs> I was like, there is a Mean Girls 2, but people don't talk about it. This <laughs> is an adaption of the stages. And then he just walked out of the room. <laughs> no, I'm joking. My As son. the listeners are also walking out of the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So Alison Schroeder, though, where her big breakthrough came was in 2016, she had a writing credit on Hidden Figures, okay. uh, which got an Oscar nomination for screenplay. Mm-hmm. And that basically kind of like opened up the doors for her. She went and worked on Christopher Robin and Frozen 2 for Disney and then jumped over to Heart of Stone and is currently working on a Minecraft adaptation starring Jason Momoa and Jack Black. It's quite a varied career. I, I'd say gun for hire. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, once you're pulled into the Disney machine, you are a, a writer that can work uh, under s- mm-hmm. certain <laughs> certain parameters. I, I can't say the idea of a Minecraft film fills me full of joy, but it's not my generation, I don't think. It seems lazy to me, and I'll tell you why. Because... Oh. <laughs> oh, sit back, everyone. Cam's got a hot take. <laughs> Jumanji, when they did the kind of the video game influenced movie, mm-hmm. like that was really yeah. fun and inventive and felt like a really great way to take that franchise. Stars Jack Black, right? right. Co-starring with Dwayne Johnson. Uh-huh. Then they make Super Mario Brothers. Let's get Jack Black in there as mm. King Koopa. Oh, let's do Minecraft. You know what was popular? Jumanji, and that had Jack Black. Let's get him in there. It feels to me like a little lazy, plus Jason Momoa starring. I don't know. You kind of like him, The Rock, next to Jack Black. I don't know. It seems a little samey. I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's going to be like a, a VO film. I know what you're saying. He is a, a safe bet, which is very weird to think about with the Jack Black, that he's a safe bet. Yeah. This, to me, just feels almost like algorithm entertainment. Mm-hmm. And who knows? Maybe Minecraft will come out and just blow the doors off. It'll be like Lego movie and will be yes. like comedic genius. They took something that could have been just a cash grab and made it brilliant. But when I look at it on paper, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> Mark it in, your, you know, in sort of uh, in the annals of Spy Hard's history. Cam is saying that Minecraft is going to be a shite film. So we'll see what happens. That's right. We will. We will. Uh, as for the director of this film... Uh, it's a British director named Tom Harper, who uh, directed shorts for quite a long time, uh, early in his career in the 80s onwards, and scored a BAFTA nomination for a 2006 short he did called Cubs, which was a youth gang story, and made his first film in 2009. It was called The Scouting Book for Boys, and it was sort of a coming-of-age film. And then he did, you know, a few episodes of Peaky Blinders, uh, the 2014 Woman in Black 2, not the Daniel Gret- uh, Radcliffe film, the sequel to. Uh, that I don't know that people remember well. Uh, Then he did a 2018 Jesse Buckley drama called Wild Rose that was very well-reviewed. And then he was on a pretty big project called The Aeronauts that was a reteaming of Felicity Jones and Eddie Redmayne. And it went absolutely nowhere. It was like much hyped going into the film festivals. And then everyone saw it. And it was a movie about hot air ballooning, I believe. And it quickly deflated. (laughs) <laughs> You've been sitting on that one for a while, haven't you? <laughs> I think I just stole that from every review that was written about the aeronauts. I, wasn't that one of those ones, uh, much like that Tom Holland film, that was just out there for a while and not published because people were really worried no one would like it? Was that Cherry? No. Uh, it's about like a, it's like a, he's a ghost or something. Oh. Uh, oh. oh. I don't know if I've uh, heard Tom... of this one. I think that's the problem. It's gonna, I'm going to look it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look up now. this uh, mysterious Tom Holland ghost film because I feel like we're missing out. 
Some people are screaming at us right now for not knowing. <laughs> but it wasn't well received, so I don't think it's a big deal. Uh, oh, my Lord. Chaos Walking. Oh. Oh, that. Yeah, that had, like, huge hype. And then it was just like, what's happening with this film? Where is it going? And then it just, like, did I didn't realize it actually came out. Did it come out? It, it did come out. Oh. It's actually a little bit of a spy connection. It was directed by Doug Lyman. Oh. Oh, mm. crazy. That one really just vanished off the face of the earth, huh? It did, it did. It was Daisy Ridley as well, right? Yeah. yeah. Daisy, it was like her other film other than Star Wars mm. around the time. And they shot it in like 2017 or something. And they had like multiple rounds of reshoots just to get it. And then it didn't release until 2021. Okay. Well, I think so. it and the Aeronauts are competing for the most relevant movie uh, right now between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And um, so like... Aeronauts was a real disappointment, and he jumped off of Aeronauts into this movie. This was his follow-up to that. And I read some interviews with him. He said what appealed to him was he just loves spy films, and he was really excited to be able to make a, um original non-IP film. He did not want to do a franchise or series film with expectations. He wanted to build something from the ground up, mm -hmm. and so that's what drew him to Heart of Stone. I, I do like the line of, I, I love spy films when he's doing PR for a spy film. Like, I want to hear the, the guy come out and be like, I hate this genre. It's the worst, but uh, here's your film. It's like if you heard him say it, it would be quite obviously like hacked together from different voice bits. He's like, I love spy films. <laughs> <laughs> like they forced him to try and say it. He's, he's like reading it with a gun to it. He's like, yeah, I yeah. love spy films. <laughs> it's yeah. like the chef farewell episode of South Park. <laughs> that's it bang yeah. on uh and he said his main inspirations for this movie were the spy who loved me three days of the condor and the walter hill film the driver which is a very gritty uh sort of 70s action drama and he said he loved the realism and the gritty vibe of them all and he was looking to replicate that in heart of stone sorry realism <laughs> and gritty vibe of the spy who loved me <laughs> Well, I guess you can look, though, at, like, say, the opening um, parachute jump off the cliff. Like, that feels real. Like, and it is real, right? Like, there is... It is real. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what he's talking about. But before that, he's, like, he, he like, invents snowboarding down, <laughs> down a ski slope. What is that? I think he's talking about, like, the stunts feel real. And that's what he wanted. Okay. He wanted that, fe that feeling, did he? He did. <laughs> he wanted it. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so once they had all the talent assembled, Netflix acquired the distribution rights for the film and gave them a budget of $150 million to make it. So this was actually quite an expensive movie. I believe at the time it was the most expensive Netflix film. I don't know if they've beaten that since. Sure. I don't know where that money went. <laughs> right. And this was a COVID production, so it was just fraught yeah. with uh, difficulties. Uh, Gal Gadot con uh, contracted COVID during the shooting and was quite ill and had to perform a lot of the action work when she was in recovery and said that like they would have to take breaks because she would be so out of breath and so like it was a physically challenging shoot she said this was actually the most challenging shoot of her entire life good for her yeah uh, yeah yeah like that's a bit like of a red flag that they were making <laughs> pushing her to like <laughs> look gal we got we got 10 minutes to get this film out can you just get on set yeah, please what is I what is mean... this I'm sure I'm sure that that's been happening ever since the dawn of filmmaking but uh yeah I don't know it just rubs me up the wrong way <laughs> it, it's it's interesting cuz like we're talking about this budget having yeah you know, 150 million and obviously 
these COVID productions have been far more expensive because of COVID. It costs a lot to have all these protocols in place yeah. and A teams and B teams and stuff. Yeah. I get that. But yeah, I, I don't like the idea of her being sort of dragged in to do it while she's still in recovery. I feel like you should have just taken a bit of a loss and spent a bit more money to have the film go on, like pause for a little yeah, while. Yeah, it's like, I um, don't know. She's like, it's the most physically demanding. She, well, like, no shit, you just had a respiratory illness. <laughs> <laughs> and you're running around. To be fair, she is a producer. That's a good she point. She is a producer on the movie, though. So she's also in, like, in charge of the show. Cam. So mm. it is in some ways the boss stepping up. You're a real gal pal. That's mm. right. That's right. <laughs> you know. So I think you know she knows time is money. And this is a production that go. she's running. And she wants to do future productions. So, you know. Okay. Uh, okay. Let's... Okay. I'll say what you're saying is she's a girl boss. That's fine. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, so, as I said, $150 million budget. Of course, there's no box office because this was a Netflix film. I'll mm. say the top three for the year. Of course, it was Barbie at number one, number two, Super Mario Brothers, which we spoke about a little earlier for some reason, and number three, Oppenheimer. I will note that while there's no box office for Heart of Stone, Deadline uh, wrote a story about it shortly after the first weekend and said that uh, apparently it did 33.1 million views in two days. So it was pretty heavily watched. I wonder if you crunched the numbers on that, on like the average ticket cost, and you sort of spat out a number, like what it would have got if it went to theaters. Yeah, I'm always fascinated with that. Well, if a ticket's like up to $20... That's a that's a lot of money. That's a mm -hmm. lot. How many how many times was it watched? Uh, Thirty three point one million. How what do they count as a watch? That's always my question. Exactly, that's the thing. People could be watching it for ten minutes and then turning it off. But so. it's the same thing in the cinema. You buy the ticket, you buy a ticket. You don't even have to walk in the cinema. So there's also the difference though of like people willing to leave their house, go to a theater and buy a ticket to Heart yeah. of Stone versus sitting at home passively, seeing it pop up What's on the this? Netflix menu yeah. with you know, Gal Gadot's face on it and going, yeah. oh, I'll watch that. Yeah. And just, just to prove this is a, the wrong way of trying to figure out the metrics of this film, I just I, I times it by 15. It's like a random yeah, yeah, yeah. price sure. of a ticket. Sure. And it came out to 496 million. Now, I don't <laughs> think this film would have made 496 million in its first weekend. Yeah, in the first two days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not sure. Take that, Star Wars Force Awakens. We just doubled you. <laughs> and my last note on this one, um, no awards really going on except the People's Choice Awards currently are voting <laughs> right now. Heart of Stone is up for Action Star of the Year for Gal Gadot for this film. Her current competition, Brie Larson for The Marvels. Chris Pratt for Guardians 3, Jason Momoa for Aquaman 2, Keanu Reeves for John Wick 4, Viello Davis and Rachel Zegler for Hunger Games, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and Tom Cruise for A Dead Reckoning Part 1. We don't know who wins at the time of recording. People are still voting. My money is on Keanu Reeves. See, I think in terms of like action, in terms of like best action lead or whatever this title of this, this award is, I'd say it's Tom Cruise. I think it was between those two for me. Yeah. Actually. I think it's between those two, but the Dead Reckoning response was nowhere near as good as the John Wick response. Is this, is this voted for by the people, though? That's the idea. It is. One, right? <laughs> it's the people it's that choice. are choosing the movie of the week that Daisy is watching. <laughs> oh, what? God, yeah. <laughs> those people. <laughs> yeah. 
It's going to the Songbirds and Snakes lady, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it might. It might. Rachel Zegler might take it for Songbirds and Snakes. <laughs> wow. Uh, what a sorry state of affairs we're in right now. Mm, yeah. So that's a stay tuned, people. <laughs> not to this podcast. No, no, no. We will not be mentioning the winner in the future. <laughs> no, but if you want to know one of the Razzies, <laughs> head over to my, head over my way. We might have Heart of Stone on there. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? It's possible. Well, folks, it's finally time to listen to our heart <laughs> and talk about what we like about this film. What did we think of Heart of Stone? Daisy, you've revisited it for the podcast. I did. Take us away. What do you think of Heart of Stone? So when you asked if I wanted to go on the podcast, I was like, I think this is because I rated this highly and might be the only person that they know that watched it at all. <laughs> Maybe they looked at the letterbox and thought, oh, she really likes this. And I was like... I was discussing my star ratings with people recently and going, I rate way too highly for stuff. I just love that films are out there. If I can find something good about films, I'm rating, like, it's always skews positively. And I thought, it's going to go down this time. But I actually do quite like it. And I don't, I think it's just because I've seen some real shockers. <laughs> that in comparison, this isn't so bad. Um, into, I, I mean, I won't go we'll probably discuss it in, in more detail, but I think it do, it really doesn't stick the landing for for what it's trying to do. It, it it's not great, but for me, I think in terms of its um, not necessarily ideas because I know like the whole AI thing was done in Mission Impossible recent one, but I hadn't seen it. Okay. Um, it, I think a lot of people's faults with this was that it was pretty much just a copy of Mission Impossible, but I'm, I think I've seen them all once apart from the new ones, so I wasn't particularly wedded to it. Um, I did quite like that it was female-led. Um, I liked the idea of, of, of this AI thing, and I liked where it was kind of going with the can we completely trust the tech when it doesn't predict everything right. Mm-hmm. Um, it kept me engaged, but was it it was nowhere near what it could have been if it really listened to its heart no joking um <laughs> gonna be a lot of those jokes yeah i think for me if a film can like an action i'm not a huge huge action fan i think there's been a lot there's been a trend over the last sort of i would say 20 years of action being so hard to visually see mm-hmm. in films that it just makes my brain just switch off so I didn't feel that completely that way in this one. So whilst it's definitely not sort of like John Wick coolness of choreography, um, I do think it worked for me. Like some of the like the car chase sequence when she's in the van and things like that kind of had a bit more of an old school vibe versus um, me watching Fast X the other day <laughs> when he flies his his car into a crane in front of uh, the Vatican City. It's, uh, you know, I could see how they, they feel like this is a little bit more realistic and grounded in comparison. Um, well, you can tell they're using real vehicles. And right. so, like, that speaks to something. There's stunt drivers taking part in these action sequences versus, you know, some of the fast movies have gotten really bad with just, like, CG cars flying around. Yes, you know? yeah. Yeah, there's definitely that. And I quite liked the mix of... Um, the mix of the cast as well like i don't gal Gadot maybe not as much but um i i liked jamie what jamie dornan was doing um i liked people in sort of the the charter 
I liked um, Arya Bhatt's character. So it was enough for me to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a great film. But for me, I have to genuinely, and this is quite quite reflective of what the film is kind of going for, if I sort of enjoy it, it's more about how I, how it makes me feel versus if I'm like, right, this is technically perfect kind of mm. thing. I, I kind of, weigh, it does weigh heart over mind a little bit, this one. But you're going to tell me all the ways in which you didn't like it and I'll reassess probably. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you don't know. We could all love it. That's uh but let's let's uh let's find out, Cam. Why don't you enlighten us? So I did not have the best of experiences the first time <laughs> I watched this movie. Okay. Um and I remember that, you know, Scott, you and I in our um year end up wrap ups always have the category the movie you most dreaded rewatching. Mm. And this is probably gonna be the one that it's gonna have to be beat for twenty twenty four. Because going sure. back to Heart of Stone was not easy. That was one where I was like, oh, God. I started it last night around 1030 at night. And it was like, okay, here we go. Here we go. I, I think with the problem with Heart of Stone for me is I actually don't hate this movie. I was just looking. I was pulling up while you know you guys were talking. Um, my movies of 2023 I watched and like the worst movies I saw this year. And I don't really hold it up against things like the Children of the Corn remake, uh, the last Insidious film. Um there's some real dogs from last year that uh, really, to me, were what much worse. Rebel Moon, probably, maybe most of all. I think my problem with um, Heart of Stone is that it has a little bit of that generic Netflix vibe. Mm. But I kind of like the initial concept of the Heart AI and the way that, in a, you know, in a sense, they're tapping into almost like video game language. You know, you have like her calculating odds to achieve incredible feats. And I'm like, that is an interesting hook for a spy movie I've never seen before. And the way they visualize it actually works. I like the idea of like the green line and the percentages. And she needs to get the advice from the guy back who's basically like Q, Jack of Hearts, Mm -hmm. telling her what to do. I'm like, okay, that's kind of quirky and interesting. And if you're going to try to create a new spy franchise, there's something there. Because to me, a lot of the problems when you create new spy franchises or attempt to is they can feel kind of generic. You know, we watch Salt on this show, and a lot of the marketing Regularly. campaign... Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the marketing campaign for Salt was the tagline, who is Salt? And you could tell that the filmmakers didn't really know who Salt was. Like They couldn't figure <laughs> out what was unique and cool about that specific character in contrast to other spy types. And here I'm like, they've got something up top. I don't buy for a second Gal Gadot as this kind of like nerdy insecure kind of shy girl on the team who's like the techie who sits you know surfing the dark web alone in her apartment at night i'm like there's no way this feels ridiculous but it's a real uh chris evans and ghosted it is it is but the idea of sort of the ai controlled aspect of her job i'm like you know what that's kind of cool i think for me where the movie really falls apart is with the twist with the jamie dornan reveal where you know the team is killed off and jamie dornan becomes the bad guy who steals the technology And it really just becomes, to me, much more of a generic spy Mm. thing. It's like, bad guy has this, and we need to stop him. And the action is functional, but it's rarely spectacular. Uh, And I find that, like, the pace and just, like, the lack of tension in the back half, I find it very tough to pay attention to that back half of this movie. Uh, My mind was drifting a lot. And there was a few pauses to, you know, get up and go grab snacks or something just to keep myself focused. So it doesn't, like, kind of build the way you want 
these kind of movies too, where like you're get you know coming up to like a big action finale where it's like okay, I can feel myself being pulled through the way that like John Wick, which we just talked about, you get the big like staircase fight you get to towards the end of that movie, and you're like, it may be three hours, but it goes out strong. Whereas I feel like everything that I take away from Heart of Stone is kind of in the first half hour. Yeah, that's a good point actually. Well, I can throw my hat into this ring, but I'm throwing <laughs> my hat into Daisy's side of the ring. I've come around on Heart of Stone just a little bit. I'll preface <laughs> that I think the end of this film is pretty damn boring. I agree with you there, Cam. I yeah, think it I loses agree. a lot of its energy once once the big twist happens. And I actually really like the twist. It comes out of nowhere and there is like no setup for it. And I do like those twists sometimes. But like the the assault on the, the, the Heart spaceship thing uh, i completely forget that I, yeah. I think i've already forgotten half of that stuff and then like the fight in iceland mm. all of the interesting and fun stuff in this film is in the first hour basically but i love all these setups this whole idea of her being a spy within a spy group mm. like that's that's interesting mm-hmm. it, it's taken away very quickly but it's interesting it's not something we've seen before and i think the people around gal gadot are doing the heavy lifting much like if you call back to say on a majesty secret service They've not got a strong lead, but Diana Rigg and the cast and the cinematography is, you know, you know, hitting out the park to try and make this film good. And they're doing the same here on Heart of Stone. I think there is a great idea here that's not as well executed as I would like. Mm-hmm. But if you told me there was a Heart of Stone 2, you know, Jack of Clubs or something, <laughs> uh, I'd be, okay, I'd be some, somewhat excited for this. Mm. I wonder... If like the AI aspects, and it is interesting to me that this movie is very like pro AI versus like Mission Impossible, which is like AI is ruining the film industry and Tom Cruise is the only one that can beat it. Um, (laughs) That's trying to be a meta discussion on AI. This is not trying to be meta anything. (laughs) Uh, Unless it is. (laughs) Maybe it is. It's like hand it over to AI and Netflix productions and that's the future. I don't know. It's like meta. I don't even know her. But it would have been interesting to have, like, a villain who had their own AI or something, where you had two agents who were working opposite each other with the superior AI. Like, which one is the best? Like, maybe that would show me something I haven't seen and tap into what makes this movie special. And I don't want to give the whole criticism of, like, make the movie I want to see. But it just feels like when I get to that back half, it even seems like Gal Gadot seems to almost, like, kind of disappear a bit in the back half of this movie so much stuff gets pushed up front with jamie dornan and alia bat and then what's going on back at you know hq that i go like i should want to follow this protagonist because this you know sense with this movie is it wants to be a franchise launch where i am plugging myself in to follow the uh rachel stone character for maybe a series of adventures. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure they quite cracked what makes her interesting as an individual so much as like they had a hook up front that i think works well, we've all, you know, laid our cards out. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the things that we did like. Daisy, I'll put you in the hot seat. Give us something you really loved about Hearthstone. Uh, yeah, I think I have to say the concept. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think, and this is kind of, it, 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 I don't want to go too spoiler into what I didn't like, but I think it just showed its cards too soon. I think if they'd have kind of played with the marketing a little bit more as well, if they had a lead character who you could really believe as, like we were saying, um, this kind of uh, a bit more of like the nerdy shy type, and we were mm-hmm. a, a bit more on that journey 
with them before the big sort of reveal was made um but they could really play into both sides of it even if it is quite surprising i think that that would have just elevated it even more but i still i still like the idea um and i like the twists of jamie dawn as well again i just think it happens too soon i don't think mm -hmm. we care enough about the characters that she's with her team like we know she cares about her team because that's why she's putting things on the line but we don't care about her team enough i don't think i think they take too many shortcuts to try and get us to um uh, with things like mention of like someone's cat and like all of the you know all of these kind of uh sort of um back and forth between them if we spend a little bit more time there because i agree like sorry i'm ending up going <laughs> completely opposite way and talking about things i didn't like but i think it's because there wasn't i i like the stuff at the beginning like cam said and it just ends up going too generic after that um mm. but no i kind of i i mean i didn't think the performances were were too bad they weren't anything to write home about but i think the characterizations and the performances there was i wanted to spend more time there so that when the twists and things happened and the deaths and things happened i actually felt something because mm -hmm. it kind of felt like a right now that's out the way we can go to action star gal gadot and then go from there um so i really liked that side of things as i say i liked kind of like the pairing between rachel stone and i can't remember Ali about character's name in this but they're kind of at odds against each other for throughout the film um alibat's the the villain but as she as we as we realize she's she's working with jamie dawn and, and she has a lot more moral sort of quandary over over what's happening um he kind of takes the takes the lead and starts doing things that weren't agreed um and i i liked the fact that they were both women in that um and kind of seeing about how that you know is there a camaraderie there um it, and it kind of just um it doesn't explore it but it but it offers the question of um do they trust each other less do they trust each other more and it's kind of nice that when they get thrown into that space where she kind of i think i can't remember is it but where she like grabs her parachute or something they both end up in the desert and then they kind of have to have to work together a little bit mm -hmm. yeah they're hanging from the rope and then she cuts That's the rope it. and then uses her parachute yeah and then the french woman comes in gives them a ride i love that little bit that was quite <laughs> funny um so i kind of like how there's this thing of clearly there's this questioning about ali Abbott's character and she can see how rachel stone's quite selfless and she wants to protect her and she can kind of see through her but it's this thing of no, I'm doing this right thing for my family. If they'd have just explored that a little bit more rather than going to Jamie Dornan's a bit more sort of caricature villain, mm -hmm. that would have been quite nice. Or if he'd have played it up way more and sort of ate some more scenery and really like played it up a bit higher, then maybe it would have been even more of a contrast. But um, more of that would have been good, I think. Well, I, I, I agree in the sense of if you've maybe waited to the 90 minute mark to do the big reveal of Jamie Dornan after she maybe says that Ali Abat had already stolen the heart or something like yes. that. And then then he does the whole rip off the mask, I'm a bad guy type moment and then just goes arch for the last 30 minutes. Mm. That would have been, I think, a, a stronger reveal and you would have felt the loss of the team. I know, like you said, the dramatic shorthand of, you know, oh, the guy's cat. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm, 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 <laughs> Who's going to feed his cat now? Yeah, who's going to feed the cat? <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, I do like, I agree with you. The, the idea of the premise is strong. And I think that had we had more of the first 60 minutes and turned it into 90 and then taken out some of the just CG nonsense in the back half, we would have had a stronger film. Yeah, I think like there's something to the Alia Bat 
character because we've seen many a hackers in spy films but i've never quite seen one like this mm -hmm. and i think like she's very invested in the journey of the kea character and i like the pairing of her and gal gadot's character i just the movie feels like it doesn't quite know how to develop that to a way where I'm like really hanging on that dynamic because you want to get to that point where at the end where she's a member of the team and being given the Joker card that you're like, hell yeah, I can't wait to see these two together. And I don't know the movie ever cracked that for me, even though I could very much tell that Ali Abat in particular was really trying to get something across. You think about like uh, Tony Stark walking into the bar with Thunderbolt Ross and he's like, yeah, I'm this Avengers initiative thing. And everyone's like, oh, crap, we're doing the Avengers. This is not that moment. We, we do not care about that team up. No, when I saw Jack of Hearts in the van, I was not like fist pumping. <laughs> uh, but Cam, something you liked. Was there something? Well, I, yeah, there's a couple of things I want to note. Like the, because I said the concept, but I, I thought the visualization of the AI was actually really fun. And the way that they're setting it up, I'm not crazy about the action scenes in this movie, the way they look, they look pretty phony to me, but I also have a lot of questions as to what they actually look like um, when they were shooting them, because I know Netflix has very specific specifications that their movies have to be uh, filtered a certain way and shot a certain way, and that tends to make their stuff look synthetic, and it's not a criticism aimed specifically at this movie it is across several netflix movies you can see the same thing in red notice and i'm sure some other crap that scott and i have watched the gray man gray man spy kids five none of these movies look good and i think like um <laughs> sorry daisy <laughs> yeah, sorry did you, you see me like shudder then <laughs> it's like a netflix problem but i think the netflix problem impacts the visualization of the action in the movie kind of cheap but it i do bit, like it does. It makes it just look kind of cheap to me. And the thing is, what would this movie look like not filtered through the Netflix demands on a big screen? Like maybe it would look much better. I don't know. I can't really say. I don't know what Tom Harper was seeing through the viewfinder when he's shooting this. It may look much better. But um, wasn't this uh, wasn't this supposed to be a like? Uh, yes. I So I was saying that like. <laughs> While I don't care for the action stuff, I really like the way they are doing that green line, the percentages, the way that someone is talking sure. through each decision. I think you could have done so much more with that in a movie where you have someone who is listening to these directions and maybe can be being given options. Like mm. you have to choose between one or the other. Like I think there's attention to that. It, does, it wouldn't feel like a character just being dragged through a movie by, you know, this AI, which I think in a bad movie, that could be the case. I think you could have a... Uh, a setup where there is humanity tied into the decisions and the interactions with the AI. And I think that visually they had the setup there to do more with it. So in terms of that aspect, I really like that. Also, I don't normally shout this out on a lot of the uh, more recent spy movies we tackle. I really like the score for this movie. Um, Steven Price, who worked on Gravity, which was a fantastic score, he has an uphill battle. Scott, how many times have we watched attempted spy franchise launches where they try to come up with some sort of musical motif for your lead character and it's either just completely forgettable and generic or it's like the very bizarre salt one where it's a chorus of voices going salt 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 <laughs> oh my god um, are you serious <laughs> yes yes that oh is accurate gosh. um I actually thought his score in this movie was really strong. And when it kicked in during the action sequences, it actually made it feel propulsive. Yeah. And I give Stephen Price a lot of credit because I don't think 
just due to the uh, limits of Netflix, the way they show their movies, that sometimes that can take away from the excitement of the action. But I thought the score did a lot of heavy lifting. I agree. And I think some of the choices of uh, other just music they inserted as well. It was nice to hear some Fleetwood Mac tracks shoved in there just personally as a Fleetwood Mac fan. But I want to go back to the thing you said before about sort of the implementation of the AI. I, I really like that too, especially in that sort of pre-title sequence, we'll call it that, use the sort of Bond term for it, because you get the Bond-esque credits right afterwards as well. Were those AI credits? They reminded me of the Secret Invasion credits. I don't, they didn't look as AIE. AIE? EIEIO. Is that you? That's my spy nickname. Well, it, it it had it it looked really good there, like in the green line, everything, and and sort of here and that stuff. But it's a really fine line to walk between doing sort of minority report because they came up with this basically, and also going too far, which I say is like Sherlock on your mind palace and seeing all the sort of questions and the writing and the in the like in this imaginary space in front of you. And I think it walked that line quite well. It's a shame we saw less of it in the film because the story obviously needed you to not do that because it was taken away from them but it's a shame we didn't see more implementation of the ai as the film went on yeah it's i mean like maybe a case at least from my opinion that like maybe they didn't realize what their strength was or it was also a power issue they were worried because if you had this all-powerful ai controlling a character's outcome there's no tension because uh it's going to give you a positive result maybe that was a concern it's tough to write around i don't know yeah um for me, the thing I wanted to call out, I mean, we've already sort of spoken about some of the performances. I think Alia Bat does a lot with what she's given. I don't necessarily care about the character as much as I'd want to by the end, but I'm not putting that down to her performance. I'm maybe putting that down to the script and maybe a bit of the editing. Uh, Jamie Dornan, I think, could have gone larger yeah. with it once he did the twist. But I like that sort of charming secret agent thing he was doing before that. That was quite nice. But what I wanted to talk about is some of, and something that uh, Daisy mentioned earlier on, something she liked, is just the, the sort of practical elements of some of the stunts in this film. And it, it not only does it get right into the action with that downhill ski, ski chase and the sort of the mission in, in the bar at the top looks like Peace Gloria. It's, it's a lovely little area of the world, but that's all good. But the chase is fun going downhill. But then the, it was the car chase for me that really stood out as a great sequence of them just driving through. I can't remember what city they were in. Lisbon? But a lot of that felt real. Yeah, I think Lisbon's actually bang on. It just felt practical, and it gave me uh, a vibe of a film that I often call back to that should be a silly rom-com that no one remembers, and it is, but it's one I remember, which is The Spy Who Dumped Me, because the stunts in that film were better than the film needed. It just stood out. And this is the same, I think, at least that part. I mean, obviously, there's bits later on once it... It jumps the shark. I mean, we probably need a new term for that. It dawnens. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then you obviously get the skydive sequence and the stuff in Iceland, which very feels very like CG. I watched a couple of behind-the-scenes featurettes and how they shot it all, and it's all just on green screen with like a fan underneath them when they're doing the skydiving. It's not like they actually did any of that stuff. It looked like Black Widow, mm, um, the finale of Black job, Widow, yeah. but but not as good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, bang on, actually. But I the bits that were practical, I think, actually were very solid. And I can appreciate that as a as a fan of action films. I think they do some of it well. It's almost as if um, we're kind of going back. We're kind of a bit disillusioned with. It's like you can do everything with CGI, but it's almost like you, it's just too much of it. 
now in that we would rather something more smaller scale as a van (laughs) going through the streets of lisbon because it feels and it was at one point when she did like a uh a a gear a stick shift and it was just it was clunky but it's how you would be cool in a van because it's still clunky Mm. because it's a van but it was the coolest you could be (laughs) uh, drifting in a van and that's it made me laugh because it's like that would be what the situation would call for. She's limited by the the situation she's in because they are, I think they were doing a stakeout. They weren't necessarily going to be doing a car chase. Mm-hmm. And it's how the character adapts to that. Whereas if you have them all doing these such, like say, jump in the shop, doing these like things that we can't actually imagine as people because our lives aren't like that. We need fantastical things, sure, but when we see it all the time, it just doesn't have any weight to it, which is hilarious because it was a hydrogen balloon, was it not? Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> that is true. So it just kind of, I don't know about you, but my eyes, it just, it, it looks, I don't, it kind of reminds me of the worst of it recently has been Ant-Man Quantumania because yeah. they had this amazing idea of, you know, going into the quantum realm and what that could look like. It could look so beautiful. And then, they get there and it's just this muddy kind of mess. And I think, you know, we're looking back to all these practical sets like Barbie and everything now. And whenever I see a screenshot of a Technicolor film, I'm like, oh, I just wish we had that back. And I think we're really craving tangible stuff on screen now. So it's funny that of all of the action set pieces, we've, two of us have brought up the van uh, in the streets of Lisbon as the thing that kind of got us gripped the most. Well, it's it's interesting. Firstly, I just want to note that uh, you're talking and sort of crediting Gal Gadot for doing some good stick shift work in her car chase. It sounds like you've been in a few car chases yourself there, Daisy. <laughs> Absolutely. Should you be telling us something? Um, or... As I don't have a license, um, I have to be very careful. I have to be very careful about what I say. No. Um, <laughs> I think if we were in a comedy, what it would then what it would now cut to is me um, stalling at a traffic light and crying in my driving lesson, and then we would, we would cut right back to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we've all been there you can tell though there's like legit professionals doing these car you know chase sequences that's why like that stuff works the best for me or even like gal Gadot hanging on the side of the vehicle at the end and like dropping the mic uh, the bike so it like slams into the other guy and obviously that part cg but like the bike chase those are legitimate bikes chasing mm. each other on a road and to me that stuff works so much better than a lot of the green screen action in this movie and like even up front when you have her doing that like cg surfing down a hill uh i'm like this stuff doesn't work for me or the flying fox which is clearly a uh just green screen but when you have her on the snow bike you know ripping down the hill i'm like that stuff looks cool like that's the kind of stuff i enjoy more and honestly that's the stuff people really like in movies like john wick james bond jason bourne so it doesn't behoove you to do these green screen action scenes because i don't know does does anyone get that excited by them Behoove. Yeah. <laughs> Cam's been reading a thesaurus today. <laughs> well done. But the, you know, you're you're speaking to something that I think is a, a, a larger discussion that we could probably have for hours. That this sort of uh, luster of CG has worn off. We have stopped being impressed by what people can do with computers. Back in the early two mm. thousands, late nineties, we were like, "Oh my god, look at this alien!" or something like that. This is groovy. They would be saying groovy in the late nineties. <laughs> they might. They might. That's Austin Powers era oh cam saved me thank you cam <laughs> uh but like now we've seen it all so actually the idea of it, it being more like realistic like something we could actually do and put ourselves in that position is actually more enticing it's it's weird how it has all come full circle 
Yeah, unless it's like an Avatar Way of the Water, where you're just like blown away at what they managed to, you know, create that feels real. Mm-hmm. I mean, as you know, Daisy mentioned Ant Man. That's a great example. But a lot of the Marvel uh, CG action, it's just like wallpaper to me at this point. And yeah, that's a good. So yeah, it's a good comparison. When I watch that kind of stuff in this movie, I'm like, like, why put in a little bit of extra effort and just do the practical stuff because that's what's impressive. Although I did think there was a weird practical fight scene in this movie, and it has some solid fight scenes. I think the ones with you know Jamie Dornan and Gal Gadot fighting are actually pretty strong. But there's a sequence earlier in the movie where it's in the apartment when they are, you know, the group is, uh, you know, attacked with gas grenades or whatever. And I noticed like, and I noticed this the first time and I paid attention to it yesterday too, or last night. Gal Gadot, I'm going to assume was doing her own action because she's pretty capable at that stuff, you know, given Wonder Woman, the Fast franchise, like she is very athletic. So I'm going to guess that's the case. I think it's bad direction because they are hiding her face in every single moment of that fight. And I was like, what is going on? She has longer hair. So it's either A, she was doubled and the doubling is very obvious. Or B, she was doing it and they were not shooting it in a way where you get the exhilaration of watching the actor do it. Mm. And I don't know what the answer is. Maybe that's when she had COVID. Maybe. Maybe that was a, we need to fill this in and get it done. So get her stunt double in there. Yeah. But that wasn't the plan, right? Maybe that wasn't the plan. Maybe, and then yeah. That's why they don't haven't quite mapped out for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really interesting. I ne- I didn't notice that, but I think if I was to rewatch it again, it would be very obvious. <laughs> yeah. Whereas when you see her fighting Jamie Dorn and say in the in the climax right before you know she shoots him, um, that stuff you can tell it's two actors who've put together a fight you know scene. It's a. It sounds like you've stumbled onto a uh, a fan Bing 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 thing from the three five five that mystery that we had a while back. Whether was she was even in the film or not, turns out she wasn't. Oh, tell me about this because oh what wait hold on. So we did this for the Razzies, and it, okay. I thought about this film earlier when we were talking about um, Gal Gadot's like um, reasoning behind wanting to do action movies and have female fronted action movies because we talked a lot about that with the 355 because we were like this would have been great and we kind of were a bit like do you know what women are allowed bad action movies too but we're like but when are they gonna get the good ones <laughs> and that's what we were thinking so she so she wasn't ever shooting in the same room as anyone else nope there was a stunt double the entire time that looked similar to her and then they comped her face in or comped her into a shot the entire film oh my <laughs> god i'm gonna go i'm gonna listen back to our episode and see if we i don't think we noticed that Claire's going to lose her mind. (laughs) We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Red alert, spy hards. We are shaking things up over on the Patreon page. That's right. We are launching an exclusive new show where we tackle the exploits of the small screen's greatest secret agents like Jack Bauer, George Smiley, and beyond. And don't forget, every month you also get two Agents in the Field episodes where we decode the adventures of your favorite spy actors in their biggest non-spy movies. But Cam, tell the people what we have coming up next. Hey there, true believers. We're going back to a time when Marvel Entertainment wasn't quite marvelously entertaining because we're going to look at the 1998 Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV movie starring none other than David Hasselhoff. So don't get left out in the cold. Help support your favorite spy movie podcast and join the circus at patreon.com slash spyhards. But before this message self-destructs, let's get back 
to the spy jinx. Well, it looks like Heart of Stone's chances of success are plummeting right now because we're <laughs> heading to the dislike section. Uh, I've been working on these puns for a while. <laughs> You've really put your heart into them. Oh. I had I have something to reply. Um, <laughs> but, but but Daisy, please save me. Give me a, a dislike you have of the film. Um, I I do think it's just its genericness. Once you, it, it kind of just it sets everything up for something that's that's quite interesting and just it's almost as if it gets scared to really do anything with it and it's like well no this is this is the this is the the hook this is the synopsis this is the first act but we want to we, we're too kind of not even scared but maybe lazy or just not that bothered because they've got Gal Gadot and they've got Jamie Dornan and they've got all of this got Netflix money to kind of really lean into it. I mean, like you said, the AI's not really even around. It becomes a MacGuffin at the end of, you know, the end of Act One. Yeah. We don't even really get that. So I think that is, that for me is majorly where it, it kind of loses steam. Um, like I said, I, I do like the, the um, Gal Gadot and Alia Bat's characters, um, um, t like sort of meeting in the middle and then how it then, how they're meeting changes kind of her um is it Car what was the alibats character called car car kaya kaya that's it how it then kind of like just changes her trajectory a little bit um until mm -hmm. she figures out what it is she actually wants um but yeah i think jamie dornan's character falls a bit flat for me once the reveal happens because then it's just bad guy doing bad things and mm. it was an interesting thing with the backstory about why he's doing it but again it kind of felt like a oh we need a bit of an explanation here let's just shove a scene with um playing close in shot which i'm pretty <laughs> sure was shot at the royal albert hall it was i might be wrong oh, i think it was interesting yeah okay. they're all they're one of my clients before so i like recognized the hallways and i was just like and then i saw the big shot i was like oh there they are yep no been in one of those boxes it was just an interesting one because who's the other who's the other guy as well that was in um mr robot uh was that bd wong that's it and i just yeah. feel like massively underutilized both of both of those <laughs> names like his role in this is to provide context to jamie dornan's character's backstory and then basically just um be, be the canary in the coal mine um <laughs> yeah. with the with the the setup for 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 the the sort of trap that they've got so yeah i mean as i say i'm not Action isn't like my my big genre that I love. So if you're gonna go generic, it's just not gonna it's not gonna appeal to me, unfortunately. Um, I I appreciate that they got Glenn Close in just to have that one scene you mentioned, and then to give us a scowl in a couple of scenes later because she gave us CCTV <laughs> half a day AI replica maybe half a day. I think she got her day rate. Yeah, I would say it's a one day job, but she was probably out of there in maybe six hours. The question is, were they all actually in the Royal Albert Hall? Or was it another fan Bing Bing situation where they just... It does look like the boxes in the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know how... The thing is, obviously, there's like pretty much two shots, right? So you've got the, the one where they're standing up at the back and then you've got the reverse. Mm -hmm. BD1 could easily not have been there and been somewhere else. The other guy was there. <laughs> he was there. <laughs> I can't confirm. <laughs> He's not got much to do. Yeah. 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 It was weird, like B.D. Wong, Glenn Close, 
and then the other guy. Yes. And the other guy has a, you know, he's got a decent filmography, but like he's not the kind of recognizable star that the other two are. No, I'm really sorry. I can't even picture who he is. <laughs> just, just, to, just to like give the guy some credit for we keep saying him and he. Yeah, let's his let's say is... his actual name. <laughs> Mark Ivanir, we love you, sir. Thank you for your contributions to spy films. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you know, he's got 155 credits on his IMDb, so wow. uh, he's doing something right. He's doing something right. <laughs> he's doing better than us. He's doing better than us. That's true. That's true. But no, I, I, I do agree. I think that it sort of uh, loses the luster when it, it, it goes on. The, the Jamie Dorton switches just, it removes a lot of the fun mm. uh, from the from the film. I think I, I would have liked to have seen that stick around some more. Or he had maybe gone bigger with it uh, or something, like just gone large. I think the problem with Jamie Dornan, too, is that, like, they never find kind of a relationship between him and Gal Gadot. Uh, there's kind of, I guess, a flirtation in the first bit, sort of. She checks him out when he shirts off. I mean... Yeah, I was, like, making notes, like, are there supposed to be sparks between these two? I can't tell. I think it's just two hot people existing, and then it's just like, okay, there they are. <laughs> I, I don't know what that's like, so... Yeah. <laughs> I've seen Gal Gadot have chemistry, you know, with Chris Pine in the Wonder Woman mm -hmm. movies, so it's not like she's an actress who struggles to have chemistry with a co-star. It's just something about these two, it does not click. And so when you have the betrayal, and then this, you know this vendetta where she wants to stop him there's no emotion driving it it's just like well he killed these two kind of generic team members uh, i guess that's enough and there's a point where she says i've spent every day for a year with the jamie dornan character and i was like really <laughs> it certainly doesn't feel like it <laughs> that's such a good point yeah no absolutely not it, like this should feel like family betraying family but i don't know that that quite comes across I think if and I'm going to say it's because it was my idea and that's why I think it's great. If we had had the team together for 90 minutes and then had that cut then and the twist, mm. maybe we would have cared a bit more about that sort of the betrayal. Right. Yeah, I do think that problem would have been solved by some of the stuff we mentioned earlier about st sticking with sticking with that part of the film a lot longer and then the rest would kind of take care of itself. Yeah. And I think I think the idea of having a spy embedded in a team of spies is I've I've not seen it in three and a half years of doing spy movies. I've not seen this done before. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, though that is an interesting idea that kind of like the AI thing isn't fleshed out to the kind of the maximum potential it could have been. But speaking of Cam, uh, your dislike. So I've said I've liked the hooks of the concept for this, like the AI, the spy within a spy, like that stuff's cool. But I think I have a problem with the Rachel Stone character as written, which is, I don't know who she is, really. And you can look at like a static character, say like James Bond. Uh, he doesn't have huge character arcs in his movies. You know, he hasn't changed a whole lot uh, since he's been around, you know, for 50 plus years. But you can kind of say, who's James Bond? You know what his favorite drinks are. You know how he dresses. You know the way he like fights. You know his personality. You can say the same with Jason Bourne. There's elements you can pick up uh, across the way, like his, you know, the way he's vulnerable, the way he kind of carries the weight of past decisions that he doesn't necessarily remember. I don't know what Rachel Stone's thing is. We get that she liked her team and she wants another team, but who is she as a person? I know way more about Alia Bat's character and the journey she's gone through to get to where she is by the end of this movie 
and she's been much more like vulnerable with the audience and like kind of letting you inside of that character. I don't have any sense of that with uh, Rachel Stone. And part of the problem is like, I don't have any sort of dislike for Gal Gadot as a performer. I think she's someone who, like many action stars, um, they have a very strong, you know, screen charisma, but it's the right project and the right director to kind of unlock it. They can come across as impenetrable if it isn't. And, you know, there's lots of people like that that we celebrate out there, you know, action stars of the past, you know, Schwarzenegger, Stallone, lots of people like that and people champion them. But if you give them like a director that doesn't work well with them or can't draw out their strengths, you don't necessarily connect to it very much. And I think that's kind of the problem here where I don't leave this movie with any real sense as to who Rachel Stone is as a person. And I think that would actually do a lot of good in kind of carrying at least me through the more generic bumpy patches of the movie if I had a real lock on who that individual is. Who would you want her to be? Well, that's not up to me to decide. It's up for the screenwriter to give her identifiable personality traits. Who is Stone? Who is Soul? <laughs> who is Soul? What, what is Stone? <laughs> like, she makes, like, I guess what are supposed to be jokes that are never funny. And I'm like, okay, is she a funny character? Like, is that the idea? She's like someone who is snarky at her boss? I don't know. Like, they never really nailed down the character at all. It reminded me of a discussion we were having with uh, a lot of our Uwe Boll films that we covered on the podcast because he did an awful lot of video game adaptions. Um, mm. And the reason they, one of the many, many reasons they don't work is because the characters from those kinds of games aren't fully fleshed out characters in the same way um as books shows you know plays etc gaming has come on in many many ways um since then but the kind of games he was adapting um because you're playing as someone and they're your vehicle and um it kind of reminds me of that that they were trying to make like it was almost like they did that by accident um they thought her that 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 thing of oh she's a spy with a spy is was enough to play with but and it did have a gaming kind of vibe, like you were saying earlier about like the the odds and the percentage and things like that. It it kind of works as a video game thing. Um, mm -hmm. A little bit Lara Croft and a little bit, you know, these little elements here and there. Um, but I agree, it's um, you know, she has this thing about not trusting the AI, saying why should I trust the AI if I'm going to put people on the line and things like that. Um, that's what they're trying to get out with the whole heart of stone thing as well but it you don't feel it it's just kind of inputted here and there and the rest is she's just a vehicle for us to experience the rest of the film i'm gonna bite back on you don't like on their cam okay and i'm gonna play devil's advocate this is not necessarily my take this is just the opposite side of this sure the filmmakers reference The Spy Who Loved Me. So we'll take that as the James Bond counterpoint. Okay. Yeah. Now, someone who turns up to see The Spy Who Loved Me necessarily hasn't seen all of the Bond films or any. It could be their first Bond film. What is that film telling you about James Bond? What do you know about him? Oh, well, okay. You um, are told that he was once married and he does not handle like something bad happened. You understand his sense of humor. You understand the things he likes. You see the womanizer, shaken, not stirred martinis, the fashion, the tuxedos. You could walk out of that movie and say, I understand who James Bond is. Um, I understand who he is as a pop culture icon. Who is, okay, describe to me now. Who's Rachel Stone? So uh, my dislike <laughs> is... Um... <laughs> I never 
said I was disagreeing with you. I was just playing the opposite side of that. I was devil's advocate there. I, I think there are some elements. There is a moment where it's actually the Ali Abat character that says something like, oh, you're only this way because you're X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Something about, like, I think she was an orphan and then picked up by the... I keep wanting to say Citadel because that's the other spy thing from last year. It's not Citadel. It's, oh, um... I watched that. Yeah. What is the name? Uh, because of the C. What's the name of this uh, spy organization? Charter. The Charter, thank you. The Charter pick her up and give her the, the, the structure that she so oh, desperately needs. Yeah, there is a little bit there to go on. There is an Easter egg, but then... It's exposition, though. It's not behavior. That's true. She... I'm like this. Like Every time you guys say that, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, it's such a good point. I'm absolutely insufferable. She is the first person. Rachel Stone is the first person to throw herself into the fight, the good fight. She will stick up for the little man. She will ride a bus. She won't take a taxi. She is down and dirty with the rest of us. Look at her go. She's a great person. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I didn't write know, this. <laughs> Daisy brought up Tomb Raider, which is actually something I was thinking about, which is we covered the first Tomb Raider movie on the Patreon, and that is a kind of generic 2000s action movie. Mm -hmm. I could write like probably a page about the personality of Lara Croft off of that movie, and that is a video game avatar character, whereas I feel like Rachel Stone is an avatar character without the, kind of the personality quirks. It's interesting because like, I wanted to pivot into my dislike, but I haven't got one that we haven't explored. Okay. So I'll probably just go back on Cam's a little bit there because I think there is definitely room to have more. But one of the mantras I read about this film and the filmmakers when they wanted to do it was they wanted to get sort of right in, right in on the action and just sort of go. And maybe that was to the detriment of character development, but at least we got some explosive action scenes that well i mean i will remember the the opening ski stuff for better or for worse i think it was interesting uh, should there have been more time made for her to have character development yes but then i think we would have ended up with a two hour and 30 film and i think we would have been sitting here saying i went on a bit too long uh, i could see some cuts you could make <laughs> to accommodate character growth <laughs> okay cam is standing firm on that i can't i can't fight him and daisy's in the middle of her she's uh, she's like the referee here like tennis <laughs> No, I think the film, when you said earlier about, oh, no, you know, we could have spent 90 minutes here and then half an hour, I was like, oh, yeah, this was a two-hour film. Did it need to be a two-hour film? I'm not so sure. I don't think it ever really outstayed its welcome. No. But there were definitely moments where I was like, yeah. I'm okay. like, does any film need to be two hours? <laughs> well, really? <laughs> I mean, these days I'm thankful for two hours Ooh, versus two and a half or 2.45 or three. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll move us over to sort of final notes before we get to the knock list. Daisy, is there anything you would like to bring up you haven't mentioned already about Heart of Stone? No, I don't think so. I'd like to say I think I was quite surprised by revisiting it because I knew that I'd rated it fairly when I first watched it, and I think it's just because my expectation things are so low these days mm -hmm. that I was like, <laughs> oh, actually, this is like this action movie is engaging me it's got some nice ideas i liked where it was going at the beginning um and there was enough there to sustain my interest and then when i was thinking about revisiting it i have to say i agreed i was wasn't like i was like i'll be interested to see what i think now it's not one mm. that i ever thought i'd watch again mm. um, and there's been a few like that with the podcast and so with our podcast as well and then i i found myself watching it going oh no i did i did actually quite in, quite enjoy this for what it was so um all i say was to wrap up it's got some really nice you said this as well scott it's got some really nice ideas it's just the execution kind of feels a bit 
half-hearted. <laughs> oh. Oh. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> what more Natural. can you ask? <laughs> uh, Cam, I don't know how you could follow that, but uh, do you have anything for us? I have the perfect follow-up, and Daisy set me up beautifully yes. for it. How many times do you think they say the word heart in this movie? Oh, my God. Heart or stone, which is more? I counted, because I you remember counted. the first time that I was losing my mind with the number of times they said heart over the wow. course of the movie. So I kept a running tally last night. Well, should we do like an over-under thing? Me and Daisy pick a number, and, okay. and who's closest. So I, ladies first. Daisy, pick a number. Um, so he said the said the word heart, yeah, which is her last name. But then they also have the people whose job title it is. So I'm gonna say, and because it's a spy group, they call them by their last name. So I'm gonna say maybe like sixty. Okay. Wow. Okay. I was thinking lower. I'm. I don't have a number that I'm clinging to, so I'm just gonna go with the magic spy number of thirty nine. The number was 46. You were closest. 46 uses of the word heart in this movie. Still a lot, isn't it? That is a lot. <laughs> that, I mean, there's a lot of heart in this film. <laughs> there is. At a certain point, I was like, oh my God, how many of these scratch marks am I going to be doing? I was running out of space on my notepad. <laughs> At least it was keeping you interested in the back half. It's true. It's true. It did. And then the only other note I had was uh, we talk about video game stuff. There is that like um, interesting kind of POV night vision shot they have of Jamie Dornan taking down guys early in the movie when they're going after the arms dealer at the chalet. Oh, yeah. And it's done all in the dark. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool visual. We've seen that kind of thing done before. I think of the movie Doom from the 2000s, for example. But I thought it was actually pretty well done and speaks to kind of the video game language they're trying to communicate. Um, and it's sometimes nice to see someone try to tackle that stuff without just adapting a video game, like trying to kind of make it part of just, you know, film storytelling. Yeah. Well, um, I have two questions to wrap us up with. And the first one is something we have briefly mentioned, but it's more just a, a, a moment of conversation. Do you think we're ever actually seeing a sequel to Heart of Stone? Have they announced it? No. No, no. not at this point. I feel that's probably it. that's probably it. They, if they haven't done it by now, you're probably done. But yeah, I think that the thing that they do these days is a classic thing, and you know, it's just a, a a classic brand thing where they see numbers fly up, they get excited, they think it's the next cash cow, they invest in it, and then they realise that people are fickle and they like different things. They will move on by the next day. Um, so I do think that. I mean, I don't, I don't know anyone outside of. I mean, I don't think I've even saw many people on like Twitter in the film journalism community really talking about it. Um, but it was huge on IMDb. Like that's why I watched it the first time. It was most popular. But I don't think I can name someone who I spoke about it in real life either. So it's one of those weird ones that sort of like managed to <laughs> infiltrate everyone's homes, but. If no one's talking about it afterwards, they either didn't finish it or they just didn't rate it. Hmm. So whilst it boosted their numbers at some point when it was released, I do think it's one of those ones where it's like, oh, Gal Gadot, I recognize her. Or maybe you know what they're like with the tiles. It's all all, all like um, algorithmed. I'm sure there was quite a few Jamie Dornan fans that got pushed to watch it um, based on watching other things he's been in. So I do think it kind of had a big boom went out with a whimper, hasn't made any cultural impact. So unless Gal Gadot, because she produced it, is particularly interested in revisiting and Netflix know that, well, it got us good numbers for the first weekend. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't really get Netflix because they have this history of announcing sequels like mm-hmm. right as a movie drops. They did it with Red Notice. They did it with The Gray Man. Um, the Will Smith movie Bright back in the day, they announced sequels to that. And then these movies come out. They are savaged by critics. And I don't think Netflix necessarily cares about reviews because if the numbers are big, then I guess there would be an audience. But I'm wondering if the metrics they're looking at are the percentage of the movies that people actually watched. If they're going like, uh, this is not worth spending $150 million on again because people just don't care. And so it was interesting to me that this was the first one that I can think of where they did not come out of the gate saying, we're making a sequel to Heart of Stone. They've never mentioned anything about it ever since. So I'm going to say no. I don't have any insider information. I probably would watch it if there was a sequel. But I will just say, I posted up a couple of days ago that I was watching this on, on Twitter. And the reaction was quite muted, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, not to say, I mean, that could be an algorithm thing. I could have posted at the wrong time of the day. You never know. But I, if I, I think if I posted like, you know, I'm currently watching a 1970s film, like uh, The Conversation or something like that, I think I would have got a lot more replies than I did for this. And maybe that speaks to whether it actually worked with spy movie fans, which I would say is probably the core audience of this film or one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Yeah. And my last question. And just a little bit of fun to wrap us up. There are a lot of uh, funny little nicknames or code names in this. You've got the Jack of Hearts, King of Clubs, King of Diamonds, King of Spades. If you could pick which your uh, suit and heart like number would be, what would you be? Because obviously we have the Joker as well. Mm. So that's been taken. You can't have the Joker. I, I'm, I'm probably going to go towards hearts. Okay. What's your number? I don't know. Um... I would, um, uh, my heart, I'm listening to my heart and it's saying seven. Seven of hearts. Seven of hearts, I like that. Okay. Yeah. I think I know cams. I think I already know it. Rules for stud poker. <laughs> the card, I was going to do the card rules card. <laughs> Oh my God, amazing. <laughs> That's what I was going to pick. That's great. No I'm stealing it from a uh, deleted Simpsons scene um, where they show a James Bond spoof and they're serving Bond. It's like a high card and he's like, rules for stud poker (laughs) so that's where that's coming from well my backup answer was the ace of spades oh okay nice motorhead metal yeah Yeah. Yeah. i'll take that that's a pretty cool Mm -hmm. nickname to have Mm -hmm. so that's that's that but um here we go folks knock list time is heart of stone the winning hand we'll find out daisy you're up first this is your second time voting for a film on the knock list the list of the best spy movies of all time sadly spy kids 2 didn't make it Which... but it's <laughs> I, I know I, could, I i know you're fuming i'm sorry i know you voted for it we didn't of course but heart of stone is it making the list for you and listen i'm not going to be tactical now based on my um, disdain of last time's <laughs> results i promise <laughs> i liked it but if the way that you framed that question is very much like we're talking about the best, right? So we've got to think mm-hmm. about like what's actually making an impact, what's technically good, what's like like art that you want to revisit and spend time with and discuss. And this was this was fine. It was it was enjoyable whilst I was watching it. I'm not going to rewatch it again. And you know what? I don't even really feel like it has enough spy stuff really <laughs> in it 
to feel like it can really can can contend with some of the the better stuff it 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 kind of it's not one of those ones where it's like oh I, it doesn't really want to be a spy film it's not that it just loses its way a little bit and gets a bit um distracted so i'm gonna say no for this one okay uh, i i think people might be sensing where the rest of this goes if our if the biggest cheerleader is uh saying no, <laughs> it's good there this could all be downhill cam uh what do you think i think in my eyes the chances of this one uh making the knock list those hopes are sinking like a stone <laughs> yeah i was waiting for a stone pun we'd had so many heart ones yeah <laughs> yeah so it, yeah my heart isn't broken but it may never heal <laughs> beautiful okay well that's it's a no there's two no's and as such my vote doesn't mean anything but just for those keeping track it's also a no perfectly enjoyable two and a half maybe three star film if you're feeling nice about it but is it the best spy film of all time no siree so unfortunately we are not entering the stone age (laughs) oh boy (laughs) I saved the best till last. Found that one up your sleeve last minute. <laughs> I did, I did, I did. Uh, it deserved to stay up there, really. Uh, but there you go, folks. Three no's. Heart of Stone is not making the knock list. The dossier on the film is complete and filed as classified. Daisy. Daisy, Daisy, Daisy. Thank you for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's It's been an absolute pleasure. Two years almost to the day. That's quite nice. Right. Pop it in your diaries. 2026. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be here. Spy Kids 8. It's happening. No, I'm joking. Oh, please don't. I don't. Please don't subject me to that. Oh, no. We won't do that to you. We won't. We won't. Our download numbers can't take it. If there ever <laughs> is a spy film that pops up on the, on the bottom 100, though, or even in the Razzies, you've got to let us know. We've got to collaborate. <laughs> Ballistic X versus Sever. Is the one that uh, yeah, floats that, out there. That is high up in terms of like top 10, I think. So um, have you guys seen it before? Have you covered it on the podcast? already? We haven't yet. I saw it in theaters uh, back in the day and I live in the city it was shot in. <laughs> we'll be in touch. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, speaking of uh, W-rated, where can people find you online, Daisy? Where can people hear the show? Um, so um, we are on Twitter at W-rated pod, all one word. Um, and I believe it's the same for Instagram as well. But in terms of listening to us, pretty much wherever you can get, wherever you listen to your podcast, so normal Spotify, Apple, etc., we go through Podbean, so it pushes that everywhere. But if you're unsure, please do check out the Twitter because we've got a link tree on there for you. And yourself, can people find you online as well? Yeah, I'm still still on Twitter. Still, oh, sorry, X. Um, <laughs> lurking there. Um, retweeting mainly Muppet stuff these days. <laughs> Don't know where that came from, but uh, it's coming up. I think I'm feeding the algorithm. Um, but no, I'm still on there. And I'm actually um, much more active on Letterboxd now. I'm kind of giving myself a little bit of a challenge to write even the shortest review of something that I've seen. So Letterboxd is um, Daisy Victoria Edwards and then Twitter is Daisy Vic Edwards. We will put links in the show notes below to all of those. I recently joined Letterboxd myself and I've been trying to do the same thing this year. So it's uh, it's it been an interesting experience so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I recommend everyone pops on the Letterboxd and just actually writes down things they say, things about the film because I think it actually is a nice way of getting your thoughts out, just writing something down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there you go. That was that. So, Daisy, thanks again for coming on the show. Everyone, check out W-Rated links in the show notes below. Thank you so much. 
Well, there you go, folks. That was our chat about Heart of Stone. I want to thank Daisy once again for joining us. But Cam, did you know this is coming out around Valentine's Day as well? That's right. And what a way to celebrate Valentine's Day. Just as last year, we chose The Spy Who Dumped Me, which was not the rom-com we thought it was going in. Uh, Once again, we have chosen a very curious choice in which to celebrate this uh, wonderful holiday. And luckily, my heart is also made of stone. So it's the perfect uh, sort of synergy for this holiday. Oh, that's accurate. The heart thing, we've got that going for us. And I'm sure sure we'll be eating lots of cinnamon hearts and sweethearts uh, this uh, February 14th. So, uh, well... You know what? They'll go well together. They will. Uh, But Cam, I'm curious. What are your plans for Valentine's? So anyway, Scott, uh, next week we will be (laughs) tackling 1933's I Was a Spy, which is a World War I spy drama about a young nurse in German-occupied Belgium. And I know nothing about it. I know it stars uh, Herbert Marshall, Conrad Veidt, and Madeleine Carroll. And it is available, I believe, on YouTube. Yes, in true Spy Hearts fashion, we're choosing a film that you may not have heard of before. Surely we haven't heard of it either, but it's got a a good cast behind it, so who knows? It could be a knock list entry. So, folks, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to join us next week as we take a look at 1933's I Was a Spy. If you want to become a Spy Hearts diehard, like we mentioned at the front of the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll read it out on the show. If you don't already, make sure you support us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash spyhards plenty of options over there reasonably priced and over 50 episodes in our back catalog exclusively for our patrons to listen to so if you want a little bit more spy jinx in your ears that's the place to go and if you don't follow us already discreetly of course on social media at spyhards that's s-p-y-h-a-r-d-s on facebook twitter and instagram but until next week folks if the heart wants to find us it will (laughs) 